And she called the second stage the pregnant virgin. And that's a psychological achievement. We're literally like a virgin forest. That's the, that's the term virgin. A woman is whole under herself, complete and balanced. Not perfectly complete, not perfectly balanced. There's chaos in nature, but there's a self-regulating in terms of even nervous system language, sense of, of a, a sovereignty in that second psychological stage. And then last is the crone. And the wise woman often corresponds with age. Uh, and that is because the longer that we live in these bodies on this earth, we just have more time to encounter life's challenges. And so, if we're lucky, we learn from those and we gain wisdom. And also if we're courageous. The crone woman has encountered death of some kind. Now, that, that may not be literal death. It could be the death of a marriage, which I had. Or it could be a literal death, the tragedy of losing a child or a beloved. Welcome to This Is Aging, a podcast on a mission to explore the upside of getting older. We're your hosts, Dana Schultz and Melissa Reeves, two friends approaching midlife who are fed up with anti-aging culture and refuse to believe that life was all downhill after 40. We believe life can get better with age and we're here with the stories to prove it. Join us and our inspiring guests as we flip the aging narrative on its head and trade fear for curiosity and celebration. Hello, Melissa here. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I just wanted to let you know you are in for a real treat today. Syl Reynolds, who Dana and I got to interview a few months ago, actually, is on the show today. And since this conversation, I actually started working with Syl one-on-one, which has been one of the most transformative experiences of my life. She brings so much profound insight to the challenges that women experience throughout their lives and sheds light on this really beautiful framework for understanding the psychological maturation of women in the different stages of life that we go through. Get ready to have your mind blown. And also quickly, I just want to make a final invite to the Threshold Retreat coming up in just a couple of weeks, February 1st to 4th. So this is the last call. I've got a couple of spots left and would love to have you join us if you're going through a transition in life, whether that's the transition of motherhood or the ending of a relationship loss or grief of some kind, really any kind of transition, whether it's obvious or less obvious, this is a place to come and be held and witnessed in your transformation and have the opportunity to really sit in and be in the initiation so that you can move through it and find purpose and wholeness. So information will be at the link in my bio on social media, as well as the show notes on my website, melissareeves.com. Okay, and now for the magic. So welcome today to This Is Aging. We are super thrilled to have today's guest. We have Syl Reynolds today, who has over 40 years in experience as a psychologist, a nurse practitioner, an author, and a coach. Syl has been working with women in all kinds of ways, which we'll hear more about today. She majored in women's studies at Brown University, and she also actually was in a mentorship or mentee relationship with Marion Woodman for, I think, quite a few years. And we're really excited to hear more about that. Um, you are really 
an interesting figure in the space of working with our mother lines and all the things that kind of evolve as we go through our journey as women in this concept of aging and how we can explore how life actually gets better as we age. We really wanted to talk to you about the wisdom that comes as we get older or that potentially can come. It's not necessarily automatic, but that can come if we cultivate that. And specifically this idea of the crone, which is something Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily get a really great wrap as a, as an archetype or an image or an idea. So let's dive in there. I'd just love to hear a little bit about what you do, how you got to where you are, how it all began. So where did it all begin? How did it, how did all of this start? Uh, good question. Cause, because Marion Woodman being a Jungian of that school of psychology, she was trained in Zurich and, and was my teacher for a couple of decades. Uh, she passed five years ago at the age of 89 and Jung once said, life begins at 40. <laughs> and whether that's literal or figurative, midlife, whatever it is for people, there's an awakening that can come when it starts to feel and look like if you're available to that sight and feeling, holy shit. I can't do everything that I imagined I could do or be everything that I imagined I could be in the first half of my life. Um, So sometimes midlife is a crisis. Sometimes Mm. it's not crisis, just meaning that our life catches up with us. Jung also said what we don't bring to consciousness comes to us in fate. So I'm not going to be, quoting Jung the whole time, but just giving some <laughs> <Please> foundational <do. laughs> <Huge> fans. <laughs> information about the framework from which I teach and grow. And Marion Woodman was the next generation of Jungians. And she, in my opinion, brought psychology so much into conscious femininity and the experience of women and men and everybody in between who want to understand and contact that energy in themselves, that those attributes that are Mm. um, crushed in patriarchy. Now, I just want to say Marion's definition of patriarchy was a system that is not about masculinity. She said masculinity is a whole nother thing. Patriarchy is a system where men and women and everybody, all people, uh, are raised or socialized to experience or see or judge that masculine attributes are better than feminine attributes. Now you can call this yin and yang, Shiva and Shakti. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different ways of describing these two different energies or ways of being. And so much of Marion's work was really completely dedicated on bringing our awareness into our bodies, which is why, for instance, Kimberly Johnson and I really resonate in our work together. 
because I'm sort of bringing in the psychological, spiritual. She's bringing, and the body, because Marion's initial work, her and her first book, and her thesis at Zurich was on eating disorders. She herself had had anorexia as a young woman. And when she went to study in Zurich in midlife, because she'd been a teacher of theater and English, poetry, literature for adolescent kids. And in midlife, she went to Zurich to become a Jungian analyst. So sometimes, again, in midlife, we feel called to another vocation that's maybe an evolution yeah. of our soul. And so her initial work was so brilliant. She was interested in, in answering the question, why do women and girls hate their bodies and why are eating disorders and disordered eating epidemic? And in this case, in North America. So she was Canadian. And this was 19, yeah. late se- 1970s when she was studying and writing about this. She was in Zurich with all these old dudes <laughs> and kind of moving her body um, with her women's groups. And I think they all thought she was kind of nuts. <laughs> she didn't care. She didn't care. Good. <laughs> Are you speaking you know, about um, her book, Addiction to Perfection? That was the second book, which was her, her best-selling book uh, oh, okay. and really went into it in more depth. The mm-hmm. first book is called The Owl is the Baker's Daughter. And which is from Ophelia's soliloquy in Hamlet, where she, right before she commits suicide. And so Ophelia being a motherless daughter. Mm. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, continue on. Marion's, even the titles of some of her books and her writing, I just want to tell the listeners that they're dense and amazing. And I think, and her work and her, she always would say, because she was so highly intuitive, that her writing had that kind of circular feminine way of thinking. And she never apologized for that, but it certainly shows up in your reading. So I have found over the years, and certainly with my clients and students, that they need to slow down. And when they do, they can take in her words more easily. I usually recommend that people start with her audios. There's a beautiful, I sort of call it Marion's Best Hits, called Sitting by the Well. And I think it might be Sounds True. You can certainly get it on audiobooks or whatever. It's really accessible. And in terms of our audience today and our topic, This is Aging, I just love her audio called The Crown of Age and that she speaks about how crone Mm -hmm. and crown come from the same place linguistically and and just the regal image. Mm -hmm. She was very much that for me. She was uh, a woman almost exactly my mother's age and so a spiritual mother for me and a woman who had achieved a huge degree of what we call 
in Jungian psychology, individuation. And my mother, bless her, she's still alive at 93, and we have a sweet relationship, wasn't always so. My mother, I would say, in the language of archetypes and the inner archetypal journey that Marion laid out for us, my mother is, is still at 93, kind of like a maiden. Nothing wrong with being a maiden. However, um, I'm older than my mother psychologically, I would say, for sure. And so shall I lay out that map a little bit of the, because it takes us. Let's do that. Yeah, I put a pin in something. I put a pin in something, but we can come back to it. Yeah, let's lay that map out because I think it gives the framework to wherever we go. That's partly why I want to lay it out. All right, so... Some of you who are listening may know about what we call in mythical language or goddess world, maiden mother crone, triple goddess. Okay. And just in, in one way, it's quite corresponds to the biological, the physiological, at the very least. Maiden is, is up to menarche and mother is the capacity literally or figuratively to be pregnant to conceive and nurture, just archetypally we're talking here. doesn't matter whether you have children or don't have children. These are archetypal images and qualities that from a Jungian psychological perspective live within us, or certainly we can relate to. We all have mothers. And then Crone is post-menopausal, <laughs> just sort of literally. My teacher, Marion Woodman, took this into another realm and reconfigured it a little bit, which I have found really helpful and I, and my clients and students have found really helpful. And so what she did is she put maiden and mother together in the first stage. So we're talking about kind of an inner psychological stage. Okay, I'll get back to what that means in a moment. The next stage, she identified as a woman whole unto herself. Now she had a term for that, which is paradoxical. That's one of the ways to describe the feminine. It can hold opposing ideas or something that your mind can't figure out. And she called the second stage, The Pregnant Virgin, a book called The Pregnant Virgin. And that's a psychological achievement. We're literally like a virgin forest. That's the That's the term virgin. A woman is whole under herself, complete and balanced. Not perfectly complete, not perfectly balanced. There's chaos in nature, but there's a self-regulating, in terms of even nervous system language, sense of of a, a sovereignty in that second psychological stage. And I'll get back to that again and how they all relate to each other. And then last is the crone and the wise woman. Crone often corresponds with age. uh, And that is because the longer that we live in these bodies on this earth, we just have more time to encounter life's challenges. And so if we're lucky, we learn from those and we gain wisdom. And also if we're courageous. So prone-dom can even happen at a very young age. Sometimes the way I best describe it is that the crone woman has encountered death of some kind. 
Now, that, that may not be literal death. It could be the death of a marriage, which I had. The death of a 30-year marriage was one of my major initiations. Or it could be a literal death, the tragedy of losing a child or a beloved. Sometimes I use Greta Thunberg as an example of a young crone. She's like... Yeah, that hits. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that, an yeah. image of her once, like when she when she took that sailboat or whatever to, to the U.S. She was in the same room with Trump for a moment. He walked by and someone took a picture and she was standing in the background like oh, I haven't seen with it. this totally fierce face. And it was just like, she was this... <laughs> Like I'm this, watching you. This badass. <laughs> like, how dare you treat my planet like this? And in a society that's in balance, which would require that many of the people in that society would be in balance, that there would be elders, naturally. And elders that really held space, safety, love, fierce love for the whole community. And I'm seeing as time goes on, there's more and more elders available. Like now that I'm an elder, I can see there's more elders among my peers that really have the gravitas that eldership needs to have to ground and guide a culture or a community. And we've got a ways to go because my dear mother didn't have the opportunities that I had to do inner work and grow more into a woman whole unto herself rather than, again, bless her heart, devoted to my father in a way that was in, in service of him, which she did pretty, pretty beautifully. They've had a pretty good marriage. It's just that I never really could go to her. And so I saw it elsewhere. Yeah. I'm curious, I hear you saying that this is not necessarily chronological, right? We can have someone that, that embodies these qualities at different times in life. And yet I'm also hearing that there is some kind of progression, perhaps of the maturation and the evolution of the soul. And I'm curious how this piece fits of the pregnant version, this woman that is whole under herself as a necessary part of the elderhood, because I think that's something we're really interested in exploring. Why do we have so many old yeah. people and so few elders? And what is missing? If I, as a 40-some-year-old woman, want to be able to embody what we're describing, what is it that I need to understand? Well, what, Liz, what are that, those initiations, That's, that's the question. It's great. That's the perfect question. And it's why when I would go to intensives with, uh, as a student of Marion in her trainings, and it's why we would spend the first few days really on the maiden mother dyad. You know, it's just like, a, it's so foundational. If we have not been, and I'm using her words, which I wrote two chapters about in my mothering and daughtering book, mirroring was one chapter and containing. If we weren't mirrored and contained, not perfectly, not all the time, but fundamentally by our mother's because they probably weren't mirrored and contained by their mothers and so on down the line, then it's going to be hard for us to, to step out of maidenhood and become a woman whole unto herself 
if we aren't mirrored and contained by self, ourselves, and others. So therapy could do that. A woman's group could do that. And of course, doing our own inner work, our own loving containment. And the reason why I find Jungian psychology so rich is that we can identify the voice of negative mother in our own head, but not identify with it. Or we can locate a projection we might have. So projection is when you have this, let's say a female boss in this case, who reminds us of our mother, say we didn't have an easy relationship with our mother. That can trigger a kind of freeze response in ourselves. Sometimes Marion would call that the Medusa response. You know, Medusa in a Greek myth, if you look in her eyes, you turn into stone, which really accurately symbolically talks about freeze. If we're around women who undermine us or if we undermine ourselves, most importantly. And so that first dyad is healed through therapy. It doesn't have to be therapy with um, a woman. A man can have a very nurturing motherly side. It's not about gender. And I understand therapy is expensive. So sometimes groups, again, they have to be safe groups because sometimes in women's groups, things get triggered that, or the leader is not creating a safe enough container. So it takes time. But, and there's, of course, a lot of resources available about healing the mother wound. It's sometimes called. And Marion spent a lot of time on that first and foremost. We're not perfectly healed, but in order to get to woman whole unto herself, kind of have to be a mother who's whole unto herself, mirroring her daughter. And if that wasn't, if that didn't happen, then we need to find women or find a way to meet our soul unconditionally lovingly way without agenda, which is the quality archetypally of the great mother in all cultures. And so many of our religions have been so absent of that image and even (laughs) trying to even name it or recognize it. And so that's the first psychological stage. It's not that you don't come back to it again and again, but there is a point when it's really fundamentally sound. Not that you don't get triggered or have work to do your whole life, but fundamentally it's like, oh, wow, I have never felt this way before. I feel free to pursue my own life on my own terms. And that's when you begin to recognize the quality of the Virgin. She's whole unto herself. And I think really important to this psychological stage is that she knows who she is. She's been seen. And so she knows who she is in terms of what she values, what's important to her. That's the quality of the woman whole unto herself. She has great feeling and she lives from that place and also has a strong container that shares that part of herself with good boundaries and knows how to create relationships where she's honored and seen. 
not perfectly, not all the time, but that's the, the quality that's born out of the mother wound being healed. And then you can see how there's already crone in her where takes it to the next level. Like, like I said, there's a kind of dying that's happened, especially as you approach your last chapter. You don't know how long it's going to be. And it's really in, intense in ways the midlife wasn't. It's like, holy shit, like I might just have another 10 years, not another 40. <laughs> so it, it behooves one to just start to go, wow, what really matters to me? Like even more discernment than the virgin archetype, the sense of oof, just really simplifying and there's a precision and like almost no tolerance for BS or blather. It's sort of like that Greta Thunberg. She was just like zero tolerance for what is being done to her planet, our planet, but holding that courageous stance and living by principles. And one of the reasons why I bring her up is that she really did face, I think she considered suicide as a teenager. And I think she might've been bullied. And so she really grappled. And then she fa- then she went down into the depths of, and about what we're doing as a species to the planet. She had a real wake up call. Can I say one more thing about the Virgin though? Just so- um, Absolutely. Yeah. It, it is in the Christian context, the pregnant Virgin. Marianne used to say, ladies, because she called us ladies. I know that's not cool anymore, but <laughs> um, she meant it well. <laughs> and uh, they got it all wrong about the, uh, the Christian story and the Madonna. She would talk a lot about the Madonna whore split, which I can also talk about. <laughs> I can talk about this forever. She, so said, yeah. she basically said, it's not a literal image psychologically and spiritually, if we connect with the pregnant virgin, at least in the Christian story, she inseminated herself with her own masculine. Like she was so whole under herself, just like a virgin forest has seeds and it's fertile and it takes care of itself. There's a sovereignty to, yeah, like (laughs) it's not about an outer man. It's about an inner man within women psychologically and do we protect and cherish our values as women it's great when men and people also do that (laughs) but if we're not doing it ourselves then then we're going to be victim more victim to that if we're not growing Mm -hmm. that aspect of ourselves and then then she would say and then we give birth to the new masculine in ourselves who comes in the name of love and cherishes and protects the feminine values in all people, who cherishes and protects kindness and listening and cooperation and vulnerability, among a few things. Mm -hmm. Well, I love all of that. (laughs) I especially love the description of the crone. I've never felt more clear on what that looks like. And I find myself, if we're to go off based off your definition, I find myself looking for the crone within myself and the crone in other people 
which I would just describe as depth. Like I'm looking for depth in people and in myself because it feels like that's the good stuff and yeah, what really welcome. matters. Did you say, did you so say thank you for depth that. or depth? Um, well, both. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but exactly. depth. I was just going to say that I was turned on to Marion Woodman's work by my therapist and I read her work, her book, Addicted, or Addiction to Perfection. And it was, it's a profound book that I've shared with many of my female friends. And one of the things that you were talking about at the beginning, which kind of loops back in what we were just talking about, the virgin giving birth to the new masculine to hold space for her. You were talking about Marion's definition of the patriarchy. And you said that it's that almost internal unease or fear of the feminine. And I'm just curious if you could define or pinpoint where that hatred or fear of the feminine originates based on your perception or Marion's perception? Well, maybe such a good question. Maybe one of the ways I could answer it is by identifying or defining a little bit some of the attributes of each side. We used to do this, my daughter and I, when we taught mother-daughter workshops for mothers and their teen daughters, we would ask them, what are masculine attributes? What are feminine attributes? And we would do this in the red tent. We set up a red tent. And so we'd look at masculine, like order, goal, thinking, logic, discernment, something like that. And the girls would make a need to add to it. And then we go to feminine. Then we say, okay, what corresponds with these? Or we might do feminine first and then we go to masculine. But what corresponds to order is disorder or chaos. Goal would be process. Thinking would be feeling. Logic, it would be intuition. Discernment might be empathy. Oh, actually, one of the things I love is that compassion is a little bit more in the masculine. Again, this is not about gender. Although people identify as women, people identify as men might be sort of more hardwired to these traits, but everything's in flow right now. We don't have answers for this. <laughs> but one of the things I, I like about just a side thing about empathy, because it can be such a burnout for women. And it's one of the things I coach a lot mm -hmm. about. And they did studies on Tibetan monks and where they were, they would meditate and they'd put these nodes on their sort of watch the different parts of their brain. And they really identified that there was a different place for compassion than empathy. And compassion is a little bit like, it's like an empathy practice. Like how do I have my heart open, but not get burned out by this situation or overextend my boundary and or sort of let this person go through what they need to go through that kind of thing. I would really call that a crone, elder, this ability to sit back and feel and maintain the presence of allowing that, per not saving that person necessarily. Although that, that's such a noble thing, but having that discernment, the wisdom to know the difference when to be involved and when not to be involved in a person's process. So anyway, going back to your question, I've sort of laid out these two different ways of energies, attributes that all people have. Marion would say, well, in patriarchy, and of course we would ask the girls, what have you learned is better? And they all point to the, to the masculine side, the goal, the logic, 
all the achievement and there's nothing wrong with we need goals we need order we need to think but not without equal process feeling pausing patience you know sort of the masculine's more action sperm to egg <laughs> and just get in there nature. whereas the egg is beingness not to mention wholeness hello <laughs> talk about whole images right the circular of, of the ovum and so yeah patriarchy is a, is a culture where that is really out of balance and where masculine values are um, overvalued to the point of detriment in individuals and the collective. And a crone knows all this stuff. Crone is serious badassery. I was thinking <laughs> yeah, about I'm coming to recognize you know, that. Was, the last, a few hours before we came on, like, oh yeah, what are my thoughts? And I was thinking how crone, you were saying it's a negative word, of course, right? Although on my website, I say Urban Dictionaries is a woman of wisdom. So it is changing a little bit in, in the zeitgeist. But um, I was thinking how old women are invisible in our culture, like they disappear when they're no longer valuable. I could be totally cynical and say they're not valuable because they're not young beauties. I mean, there's a whole multi-million dollar business of products for anti-aging. So we know where that's at. And so as painful as that is, and as sad as that is about a culture, the crones that are emerging, myself included, what's really exciting about this age, if, you're, if you've done the work and you're awake, is that if you're not invisible to yourself, then it's like the culture's loss or a person's loss. And if you own the invisibility to a certain degree, it's so freeing in a way to not have dudes. I'm not saying this as a victim. I love men. It's like, but call you in the street or whatever. It's just like a little bit more. But that would involve that a relationship with invisibility that takes years to get to. Yeah, I love what you're sharing about this relationship between the masculine and the feminine. And I think that some of the ways that feminism has had some unintended consequences is that it really said, okay, women, it's your turn. You get a seat at the table, but to get a seat at the table, we had to embrace and really embody yes. these masculine attributes. Right. And so we weren't actually bringing the true feminine to the table. We were just making the situation even more imbalanced. And now it feels to me that in culture, we're seeing this very much this pendulum of, okay, now it's the men's turn to suffer. Women have suffered and overly associating the feminine with female and the masculine with male, which is what you've been talking about too, that these are attributes and we contain them all within us, right? So I would love to hear your thoughts on that as we walk through what is, a, I think, a challenging time right now in terms of how men and women and the masculine and the feminine relate. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of wisdom on how to do that. There's a lot of reactivity, yeah. a lot of victimhood, yeah. a lot of pain. I had some wonderful exposure to Marion and Woodman, my teacher, and Robert Bly. They taught together. And so in the 90s, they wrote a book together called The Maiden King. 
about the masculine and the feminine. And they were two elders who used to lead groups with men, couples and or groups of men and women. And I attended one of those. And that was the beginning of the conversation because he was really, he wrote the book Iron John and was one of the early teachers of men finding their own positive masculine and independence and um, and their positive feminine. So there's some resources, like I agree with you, there, there aren't as many <laughs> for men. I guess my expertise is with women because I really only have seen women in my practice as a therapist and a coach. And my work is around women, both acknowledging um, victimhood, because there's this very real one in three women on the planet will be assaulted by a man in their lifetime. I'm taking that really seriously. And how can women's come from like do their inner work such that they can not only heal trauma if trauma exists, but they can also grow their own spine, literally. No, not literally, metaphorically, so that they feel they have their own back, learn to set boundaries and be fierce about trust and safety. First among women, because again, we're maiden mother. And if we've been betrayed by women, maybe even by our mother, then if that's not solid, Marion would spend those first few days in our intensives, she would get to the masculine at the very last day. Not that it was a footnote, but that women needed to be grounded in sisterhood, in safety with women first Mm -hmm. and with their inner feminine archetypes. I can't speak to the same and work with men, only that I can see that there's some cool stuff happening, what Robert Bly was up to. And I'm hoping that more and more therapists, teachers can show them the way and give them the support and help them find the courage to work with their unconscious and their shadow shit growing up in patriarchy and how they might have harmed women or people. Yeah. And how they've also been harmed by it. Because I think what you're saying about patriarchy is that it is not just men. It is a system yeah. that we are all yeah. part of. And so we're all actually, we're yeah, all actually yeah. experiencing for that. the and effects of it. Uh, Marion often would say they're more wounded than we are, but not even often, occasionally. I wasn't like them, I guess, who's, who's hurting most? She was in that wave of feminism well, that, that, that was was inclusive. And it was interesting. I don't know whether you know the work of Carol Gilgan, but she's an original feminist, a psychologist who wrote a book in a different voice, literally the same year that Addiction to Perfection was published in a different voice. And she did the first research. She was a Harvard researcher around that girl's development was different from boys' development and studied because girls had never been studied. And their moral development was different, really interesting stuff. And I remember once hearing her speak and Marion and Carol actually were friends and taught together once at the Omega Institute. And I was there and that was my first experience of Marion. And I said, 
I want to study with that woman. And I'll tell you what happened in, it, that made me feel that. But once when I heard a separate time, when I heard Carol Gilligan speak, she said, patriarchy, girls get almost a decade on boys. Girls aren't valuable to patriarchy until puberty. She said, boys are available to patriarchy in preschool. They're their little soldiers being trained. And don't cry like a girl. Bullshit. She said, girls get another 10 years to under the radar to develop their own self. And then they start imploding in puberty often because they're really self-conscious and because their bodies are developing and they're getting all kinds of comments and like that. And Carol came a little bit more from what was third wave feminism, what I grew up with. And Marion was already embracing a kind of the feminine, which was like a bad word to third wave feminists. Don't ever say that fucking word again. And I remember them teaching together and just the fact that they were good friends and was just such a good modeling. And half the room was women from third wave feminism. (laughs) And half the room was women that were like at Omega, like seeking the spiritual component, which was a little bit more about even understanding these two energies. And so I remember Marion teaching about the feminine and women literally started attacking her. Like I watched Marion where you see that meta teaching where the content and the presence are this come together and she wasn't defensive at all. Like the way that she was with their questions was so kind. Like she was demonstrating the feminine. I just thought, I want that. I want that integration. I just watched the women soften because here was an elder who wasn't getting into right or wrong or really wanted, truly wanted to hear what their question and get behind it and in it and under it with them. And it was just watching a crone transmute the room. I'm jealous. I wish I would have been in the room. (laughs) You're so lucky to be. It's it's just striking to me that as you were speaking about girls having 10 or 15 years under the radar before they become useful to patriarchy or like, oh, no, yeah, you finally satisfy a purpose. You satisfy the male gaze and you serve a purpose. And so in the meantime, we're just quietly feeling our feelings and observing the world. And from that comes the real strength of the feminine, which is such an inverse view of how the feminine and masculine are perceived, that there's more strength in the going and the doing and the planning and the structure of it all. But the real strength comes from that quiet knowing of yourself and a comfort with yourself and the feeling that the willingness to feel anything and transmute it and integrate it. It feels right. That that is where this lies. So by the way, I'm having full body chills as you describe that. (laughs) Marion used to call that like when we have chills, (laughs) that sort of like an archetypal event, like a real, the body's saying, yes, yes. And, and it reminded me of two things I forgot in the list, which was in the masculine is doing and, and the feminine is being. Yeah, we can really like see pretty clearly what our culture prefers. And yet there's the crone, Marion said, mm-hmm. the crone presence. 
her being. She doesn't have to say a word and she changes the vibration in the room if she's awake. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. how people in your family peer group have reacted to your progression to this place of crone, not that it's a destination that you've arrived at per se or that you won't keep developing into it, but have you noticed any reactions, negative or positive, to that maturation? Um, well, I notice that my daughter really appreciates um, – she had a baby this year, so I'm a grandma. That was a whole nother initiation for both of us. And I, can't, I won't speak for her, but holding that baby and landing in this literal crondom of gra- grandmother – really forced me to grow up even more like, whoa. And so my daughter's appreciating that I'm taking this seriously and meeting her and her new life with more gravitas. Like it called forth something in me that I didn't expect and that I'm still working on. My grandson is eight months old, so I'm just new at this. But when you ask that question, it's really interesting, Dana. I'm not sure because other than my clients and students, it's kind of private, like those those preteen girls, Mm. but it's unconscious for those preteen girls and it's conscious for me. I'm through life's twists and turns these last 10 years, having to face my vulnerability and really like humbling experiences. And there's a humility to Crondom and brought me to my knees, starting with my divorce. And I'm not, my, I've got these fabulous brothers. I have a great partner and I have wonderful sisterhood. So I, I'm really surrounded by, after years of people who see me and support me, sometimes in profound ways, sometimes in really simple ways. And so I feel very honored by my people. And and now as I make more of a commitment to Marion's work, like I'm going to be, I'm, I'm back post-COVID now, going to be leading women's retreats and I'm working on a book about her. And as I come out, we'll see how people think and feel about what I'm saying and feeling about the stages of life. And I think that's part of what leadership is, is that you make yourself open to criticism and this part of coming with it. And so I've been in my hut and the next few years I'm going to be coming out of my hut and we'll see. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I'll be the first person to sign up for your retreat <laughs> and the Thank first you. person to order your book. I, you know, that we'll just sounds see, incredible. Like, right. If there, are, what my, what actual form my badassery will take. <laughs> Yeah, it has taken a lot of form already in your life that has been so impactful Mm -hmm. for others. So that's pretty, pretty incredible. Can I ask you maybe one question as we wrap up here? And just thinking of all of the women that are maybe within 10 years or so of Dana and I's age, either approaching or in early midlife where a lot of these transitions are happening and a lot of maybe some of these deaths are happening that have the potential to be these initiations that can lead to wisdom, to crondom. Is there anything that you would say to us, to others like us, as we are on this journey, as we want to go through this midlife time in a way that that enables us to step into the fullness 
that the wholeness of where we are, that the woman whole unto herself and what comes after that. Is there anything that you would just encourage us in or recommend to us as we go through these? Uh, Trust your intuition. Uh, So that means like really listening to the wisdom of your body in particular. Dream work has been a huge part of my life. Writing my dreams down. I learned from Marion how to work with dreams. I work with my clients and in retreats on dreams. Like how can we access the guiding function in our soul? So that could be sleeping dreams. It could be waking dreams. Stuff happens in life. When I was talking about fate, they can give us feedback about, okay, need to make a correction there. And what are the ways that work for you to feel guided? One thing I I really resonates with me about Jungian psychology is Jung felt that there was a guiding function in the soul, that um, we really do have our own authentic life to live. And the soul um, and the unconscious are moving us towards wholeness. That's the, even if it doesn't seem that way, that's what alchemy is about. And that's, <laughs> Jung studied the work of alchemists, medieval alchemists for decades, his last couple decades. He called them the first psychologists. And that's really, we talked about transmuting before. How do we work with the stuff of our life, okay, the prima materia, what comes up, um, the challenges, and transmute it. How do we use it to guide us to becoming more and more um, who we are rather than who the culture or our family has wanted us to be? And so whatever teachers resonate, whatever therapists, whatever groups, whatever books that help you um, to realize that you're the expert you've been looking for, like to find the tools Mm -hmm. that where you can. And that was what was so deep and real about Marion is that she passed on a way of being that I learned could come naturally to me. If I give an example of what an initiation would look like, could you tell me oh, God. if I'm on you the know, right track? An initiation, uh, I, I think relationally, it's like a huge thing, like breaking up with someone that you love or you think you love, and then you discover, wow, that wasn't quite love. That was projection. And I think that's like primary material, prima materia of the alchemists is like, how do I work with the pain of this breakup? How can I stay with it and not, say, use substances or food or Marion was all about this. How can I stay with the process, the descent, the ISIS story, for instance, and stay with it and then ultimately come back um, with the treasure, another piece of myself that was neglected or left behind. So it's anything that causes pain or suffering is because we want something to be the mind, the nature of the mind wants it to be another way that's in the Buddhist tradition. And so it's whatever, because one person, something that would seem really little is huge to another person. And so initiations are whatever brings us to our knees, takes us down. There's a wonderful Jungian, um, James Hollis, he's an elder of the 
He's so good. He wrote a book. His books are so good called Swamplands of the Soul and how dismal places can bring us da da da. It's like the Jungian, I began with Jungian, but I end with him. He talks about a, a man who came in for uh, analysis <laughs> and everything had fallen apart. His marriage, his work, he came in and he's like, a, it's a mess. And he tells it all. And Jung says, great, let's get to work. Not like, I'm glad that happened exactly. to you, but yeah, great, no, this I'm happened sure to you now what? Great. Now how can we but grow? He was supporting the man yeah. in, here's an opportunity to grow and go inside and strengthen your capacity to meet life's challenges. One of my teachers calls it the curriculum. This, like, this is your curriculum. Mm-hmm. You can take the lessons or you can postpone them, but <laughs> they're right? due right? next week. So. <laughs> oh my God. That is great. Yeah. Yeah, it is really great. Mm. Anything else, Dana? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm truly, I think I could, and I could ask five to 10 to 20 more questions, but I feel really satisfied with the conversation. I feel like I learned so much oh, and I really appreciate it. I'm so time, grateful so. to be here to yeah. having this conversation. Thank you for this is aging and yeah, making us yeah. visible. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your wisdom, for shining such a beautiful light on your life and the wisdom that you received from another generation. I think that's something yeah. that's so beautifully highlighted here and something that we are that's what we want. So yes, whenever your retreat is, we'll both be, we'll both be there for sure. Yeah. Um, Is there anything you want to share with our audience? (laughs) Um, Okay. um, It's Valentine's week, February, uh, second week of February, um, a five day retreat in Rhode Island for a small group of women. If you want to know more about it, you can go to silrounds.com and get on my list. And you will be automatically um, told about it. It is by application because it it's not like light fare. Um, but there, it is deep rest. It also is deep rest and wintering by the yeah. sea. So in a beautiful, comfortable inn, which we will take over. Yeah, you can find resources Wonderful. about Marion Woodman um, on the resource of my menu, how to start with her. And there's a fantastic documentary about her called Dancing in the Flames. I've yeah. watched that and it's, I can vouch it's incredible. Wow. I'll have to watch it. Yeah. Still, are you working one-on-one with clients at this yes, time? Yes, I, I do we can work send with people, people to you for as well. Um, I'm pretty full. There's always, it, it, yeah. Um, I'm always welcome people's yeah. inquiries. Okay. Well, Wonderful. Thank you so pleasure. much, Sil. We're super grateful. Thank you so much for listening to This Is Aging. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others and leave a rating and review for us in iTunes or Spotify. You can also subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on all the social platforms at This Is Aging. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Please note the information shared in this episode is for educational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice or consultation with a healthcare professional. In this episode, we may share links and references to products and services that may enable us to receive compensation from referrals or sales. This is Aging only recommends products and services that we use, love, and believe will be helpful to you.